Bob Murray Podcast with Andy Case and special guest. Hello and welcome to the Bon Mo podcast. This week, Toby Haydoke is answering the questions while I actually have the really hard job of pressing the record button. And with that, over to Toby. Uh, hello, it says, please introduce yourself, your favourite song slash book slash film and your favourite joke or observation. Well, my name is Toby Haydoke. I'm a writer, actor, comedian. Uh, the order changes. I, I'm slightly surprised I said writer first. I'm a, for a reluctant writer. But anyway, let's not get into that. Um, so my favourite song. Well, I, I mean, I'm not musical in, in the sense that I don't really know anything about music. Um, uh, I, I was thinking of the song... Uh, let's get this start- party started by Pink the other day, and and I was discussing how I thought that was a rather recent uh, ditty, and uh, I thought it, I, I guessed twenty sixteen. It was two thousand and five. The wow. party's the party's not only started, it's over, and some people who went to it have died. <laughs> uh, so, um, but so I I sort of listen to whatever's going. I'm not a music snob. I I you know I I'll I, I mean I, I suppose my station of choice is now Radio Two, although I found myself very recently feeling a little old for radio two and i'd only just got used to being a radio two listener do you know what i mean uh so when you're being squeezed out of radio two by the the insurgence of young things that's when it's time to perhaps consign yourself to the dustbin of irrelevance but um do i have a favorite song i don't really I, i i i think a lot of um pulp stuff on disco 2000 just reminds me of the times when I felt felt relevant, and he's such a good lyricist, and they're great tunes. But they, That's a good choice. yeah, they, they've. But I've listened a lot recently, actually, to um, "Wonderful Life" by Black, which was put on a mixtape ah. for me by a female friend of mine, for whom I held a, a candle, and uh, and she used to stay at mine, and we'd listen to. And she gave me this mixtape, uh, and uh, I recently uh, got in touch. We we were, we've been in touch again recently, and it reminded me of all those times. And it is a lovely song. It um, is. Yeah, yeah. It is. I, I've got somewhere in some box somewhere. I've still got a clear vinyl of Wonderful Life back ah. in the day where they were a thing. Although they are now a thing again, I suppose. But back in the day where they were first a thing. Um, well, my son has actually got me a turntable. I'm, our, our house is an absolute disgrace at the moment and we're trying to clear the front room which is currently where the room that all the stuff goes in that you haven't got a home for we're trying to clear that out and actually turn that into a room that has a turntable a a telly because we don't have a telly in the main room we've got a projector which means you can only watch television when it's dark outside (laughs) Um, but that's okay because it means you 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 sort of force yourself to be sociable and stuff but it'd be nice to have a a a room with all of that sort of media stuff in and that's what we want to do with the front room so i will get the turntable back and i have i was very pleased when my son uh did a list of things he wanted for christmas and it was because because my ex his his mum is quite musical and goes went to glastonbury and all of that stuff um uh, and and he asked on his list of CDs that he wanted for some Talking Heads, and I was like, I think you'll find I've got those on vinyl, young man. And so, <laughs> yeah, then, really? and so then he got me the turntable for Christmas. So I need to bust out the vinyl again because I have again. I don't have many. My brother used to go to charity shops um, and had loads of albums, yeah. and he used to sort of listen to stuff, and I used to hear it because it was on in the house. So when I made mixtapes, it was songs from his vast collection of eclectic albums that he just picked up from charity shops so everything from the doors to the stones to lindisfarne's talking you know quite 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 a 
quite quite a a, a, a big mix of stuff. Di- you know, everything. Yeah, from dire straits to the doors to the stones to the you know a lot of the classics, but yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely eclectic stuff too. Um, and so I yeah I did a mix mixtape that oh god had everything from uh, um, yeah. Um, Breakfast in America to Mars from the planets. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a, that, that's <laughs> that is an eclectic. Yeah, uh, I love that first mixtape I did. I want a bit of Simon and Garfunkel that had on it as well. We had that album. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I I'm I'm pretty open all ears to. Um, uh, yeah, same. I agree. Same here. I've got I think eight or nine DJ boxes full of records that I just haven't got home for. But I have said whenever we move, the first thing I want to do is try and find someone that's got a long wall mm. so I can actually put, put and actually listen to them or at least go through them and go, I'm never going to listen to this and, and just get rid of it rather than hold it in a box until I pass on. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that, that's, I mean, I'm turning 50 and, and we're, we're trying to downsize stuff in the house and, and, and it, you know, we are looking at a lot of stuff going off, just move this from house to house. And the first thing that will happen yeah. when I die is my kids will throw it away, but that's, that's another conversation I'm enjoying having with myself so instead i say and more modern music that i've got uh florence and the machine i like uh um caro emerald is one that i was introduced oh, to wow. by my other half uh, mm-hmm. and i've also just to show that I, i'm not all uh, uh I'm, I'm not all square i do like uh plan b's album uh about nice. being, you know which which is which is which shows my rougher edges so <laughs> I've, I've been all um I, i'm as i say it's usually I've I've listened to something somebody else has put on and it's stuck in my head and then I listen to it a lot and then I move on to the next thing. But but things do have I think music is very good for nostalgia and yes. as I say, some of the stuff I've listened to recently has taken me back to sometimes I stop you stop listening to stuff because you know, as somebody that's been through a divorce, you know, there's certain things that that, that bring bring all that back. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, but one must reclaim them because it's not the song's fault that you were sad oh. when you listened to it. No, but you're right about the nostalgia, but also I, I can still remember clearly to this day, the radio was on in the car and the prodigy came on and I was being very, oh, this is my kind of music. This is my, you know, this is a good choice for the radio. And they played the song and then immediately said, and that's the start of the golden hour. And it's yeah. like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not having that. <laughs> well, no, I'm that as a golden hour, thank you. I mean, I had two cassettes when I was a sort of teenager, really, that were official cassettes that had been given to me, I think. Well, so, one I know because my uncle gave it to me, and the other, I think it must have been a present. One was Crossroads by Tracy Chapman, and one was uh, an album by the Neville Brothers. Yeah. Uh, and so I just played those over and over again. And if one of those songs, it's more likely with Tracy Chapman and the Neville Brothers yeah. stuff, doesn't tend to go, comes on the radio or something, I can immediately smell... Oh yeah, that that house that I my mum still lives there, but the room that I had, the 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 typewriter that I used to work on, and and all all of that suddenly comes back. Music is you know it's hugely evocative. I think yes. even for somebody who's not remotely musical like me, <laughs> I wish I I wish I was musical. I wish I had learned to play an instrument. And to, I think you've got enough talents again with Toby, but, but but I understand what you're saying. Oh, I just think there's something about when you see people let go and dance and sing. Uh, and I'm I'm quite sort of I'm quite uh, uh, um, clothes hanger shouldered, and I'm, I've got quite a sort of flat tone, which is odd because my voice is my living in various other areas. So I suspect I probably could sing if I if I let my inhibitions go and and maybe had some lessons and and did all of that. And I and I never did, and I wish I had because you see people doing a musical, 
and it just looks like the best thing to do. There's something about losing yourself in, yeah. in you know, something yeah, like that. Um, and I have had to sing and dance in plays, and I'm usually made to stand at the back. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing personal, but if you could just make your way to the... <laughs> the uh, my, a, a, a very good actor called Graham Hawley, who's a friend of mine. I was in a play with his uh, production, Romeo and Juliet, with his wife, Eliane, who's also an excellent uh, actress. Uh, and, and somebody had taken a photo, <laughs> Graham went, this is very easy to do, where you could get... And he pointed at everyone and went, dancer, dancer actor who can dance actor trained in dance dancer and then he pointed to me and just went actor and i was like yeah no it's, it's fair enough because everyone you know everyone the, we're all sort of caught mid pose you know and everyone had very elegant lines and then there was this sort of stiff-necked pipe cleaner man <laughs> doing his best but obviously with no natural elasticity or, oh. or poise <laughs> oh fair enough uh, favorite book oh Oh, yeah, it's designed to challenge you. Well, I mean, I could be, I could be really poncy and go. Well, of course, it's got to be Orwell's nineteen eighty four, which is a time, which is a book I have probably read more than it. Well, no, the book I've read the most in terms of literature, I've read the most is 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 the complete works of Shakespeare because. Uh, yeah. Uh, because I Shakespeare, I, I do find endlessly fascinating, and I think it's because when I'm reading it, I can sort of play the parts. There's a bit of reading out loud that goes on as well. Yeah. But I have to be honest: the book that that made me what I am today, and probably the book I've read more than any, and I would love it to be a great piece of literature, is Doctor Who: A Celebration by Peter Haining, which uh, was my Christmas present in was it Christmas 1983, I guess, and it's got that beautiful cover of just the TARDIS and some some balloons and it and it was the bible it had all the stories listed all the doctors all the companions yeah. now it wasn't the first time i found out about those because there'd been a 20th anniversary radio time special that had come out a couple of months before so those two things went hand in hand of going peter purvis was in doctor who uh, there's a story called the savages i've never heard of that you know uh, and and all of this stuff where somebody me who thought he knew a lot about doctor who because he had like 15 target books you know and the doctor who monster book i suddenly go in oh wow this this history uh and i read that over and over and, and i could still quote bits of it and it was where i would you know if i was bored or if i was sad or if i was whatever out in the countryside in the middle of nowhere it was it was a big old thing where you know, I could dive and, and, you know, if the day before I'd read all the story synopses and the behind this, I, I would read the chapter about William Hartnell. And if I'd read the chapter, I'd, you know, there was so much in it. Yes. So much to learn and memorise. I mean, I didn't try and memorise it. It just It's just what sunk in, the names of all the directors and the designers. And it's, one, it's wonderful when you find find a, uh, a book, or anything really, but there's, you know, as we're on books, it's wonderful when you find something you just fall in love with so much. It's just, it's a great feeling, yeah. isn't it? Just yeah, that, and that and that kind of I I do think it made me that but it made me what I am today. And I remember when I got it for Christmas, it sort of being passed around, and and you know my mum going, oh, I didn't know it started the day after John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And then my brother going, oh, says here has never been called Doctor Who on screen about, and and it was it was it was it was a remi- it's a reminder of a time when. Because shortly after that, Doctor Who became culty and nerdy and everybody who liked it was stupid. But that was a stark illustration that actually everybody kind of knew Doctor Who and everybody was a sort of had a little interest in a way. And none of my family were fans as such, but it was it was that family show that everybody knew and watched. And I've I've always liked and respected Doctor Who for the fact that even people who didn't like before we we became 
you know, that society that uh, mocks geekiness and decides to label things as cults. Yeah. We weren't always that way. And that no. actually there was a time when people who weren't necessarily fans of a thing would still like and be interested in it and sort of respect it for what it was, even if it wasn't necessarily their thing. Uh, we're, we're much more sort of snarky and dismissive of stuff that isn't to our taste these days. Whereas I, I, I you know, I quite like it that, um, you know, I, 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 and I think I had an, in, you know, I had an interesting family and I, you know, I, I you know, I'm, I'm quite pleased. For example, I, I don't know or like golf, but I know Bernard Langer is, and I know Seve Ballesteros is, and you know that we, we weren't and we weren't a family who sort of if if you didn't like something it was like oh that's stupid that's rubbish you know no. we, we had all sorts of stimuli coming in and and I think therefore have quite a you know a, a, a sort of a, a eclectic knowledge and set of experiences and I think that's that's a good yeah, way. Yeah, I to think you're right. I think I think that has or to an extent has been lost. This you only accept what you like and everything else mm. is rejected it's it's a real shame because it's not saying you have to like it but just be aware of it or at least have some context because other people you know probably do like it it's nice at least if you have a even a vague understanding of <laughs> you know what it is well and to be an old bore i'm afraid you know in those days of three channels you didn't necessarily watch what you wanted you watched the least bad thing that, <laughs> that was on but as a result of that it meant that you discovered things that you otherwise wouldn't have found i mean I, my, my youngest is uh, absolutely appalled aghast at the idea that somebody might choose what was on your tv watching schedule you know, because, because they, they choose you you can go out now if i want to watch doctor who now I, i've got every episode on dvd and it's on britbox and iplayer and uh, so i can watch whatever i like whereas as a kid i channel channel hopped uh, yeah. to try and find some and as a result one day happened upon the day the earth caught fire which is now one of my favorite films but yeah. i only found that because it happened to be on when there was nobody in the house and i could sneak a film in the afternoon or whatever <laughs> you know and and i i think you know i became interested in politics because my mum insisted on watching question time and it was either that or go to bed so i'd watch question time and you've got no choice but to engage no phone to look at you know no, 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 no. you know no other devices or anything like that and i and i actually think there's something to be said for not ju just being given what you want in the same way that if we were given a choice to eat just what we want well it would always be pop and crisps wouldn't it but it wouldn't <laughs> it wouldn't actually be very good for you and you wouldn't perhaps find that you had a taste for for other you know perhaps uh, more complex but satisfying experiences but i'm aware that's a really middle class artsy snobbish no I, to hold <laughs> there's been no i think there's been studies coming out and obviously you know whether you agree with them or not but um this um society we're in now where you have access to so much tech so you potentially could have the tv on plus looking at a tablet plus looking at your phone and what they're saying is that your brain, although you can multitask in that sense, your brain isn't very good if you're not focused on something. So what they say is if, if you're watching like a, a film or something, then put everything else down and focus on that because you need that focus time. It's yeah. really important for the brain. If you're constantly distracting yourself across multiple platforms, you're actually making yourself, I wouldn't know, I mean, it's not, I don't think they're trying to say less intelligent. I think you're less able to cope because you lose that ability to remain focused on one thing. Yeah, I think our brains are definitely doughier and I I you know I find my concentration and and focus is not is not as good as it used to be and now those age comes into that as well of course but uh, <laughs> um 
Yeah, no. I, essentially, I'm doing what all 50-year-old people do is go, it was better in the old days. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't necessarily as nice or as easy or as enjoyable, but it was somehow better. Yeah. <laughs> and all yeah. these kids who have the nice, enjoyable things, uh, they're not benefiting from them. They think they're happy, but it's rubbish. They should have been. They, they, they should have been like we were unhappy, but somehow noble. <laughs> unhappy and suffering, and with nothing to do. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Well, as, um, I'm, as I'm a year older than you, Toby, I, I fully support your uh, move to everything was better in the old days. Absolutely. So. <laughs> um, film or oh, film? I think probably the film I've watched the most. Uh, and I was going to say it's not very filmic, although it actually is. Um, but in a in a different way, is Twelve Angry Men. Uh, I, I'm a fan of dramas that are about people, probably largely men yelling at each other um, <laughs> in boardrooms, you know, in 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 spaceships, whatever. I, it's just kind of it was was what I was brought up on. And I remember my brother watching Twelve Angry Men, and my 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 bedroom was a was a sort of platform above the room where they watched the telly. So I used to have to go to sleep to everyone else watching the telly because that was the only room available. And I remember my brother having 12 Angry Men on and seeing the climax where Lee J. Cobb does really sort of dirty, sweaty, angry acting and cries uh, and thinking, wow, this is, wow, this is sort of real acting. It looks quite large now, but actually at the time, um, it it, it seemed sort of gritty and earthy and and that sort of stark black and white photography in the way that Sidney Lumet gets into all the actors' faces. It seemed to me like very different from the sort of British stuff that we watch yeah. and we go oh this american stuff is not bad. and then we did it at university and i remembered i think i was off that week and i went no no i i want to watch Ang- 12 angry men because i remember my brother having it on and it being you know what so let's re- so i got a private view you know i just got the video off the tutor and watched it in a private viewing room when they had a telly in a video and um and and i went in another you know six or seven times and watched it over and over again to study it um yes. Because every camera move is important. The, the the photography, the beautiful way that he uses those faces. Each of yeah. those performances, you can you can watch the film with your eye on a different actor every time and almost get a different movie. Yes. Uh, uh, and I love all those actors. Uh, I love the simplicity of the, the premise and what it what it you know. It's not really about the court case. It's about it's yeah. about the, the the men in the room. Yes. Um, and I think it's I think it's a terrific terrific movie that uses yeah. so many cinematic techniques whilst actually being essentially a stage play but but Lumet manages to use all the virtues of cinema to do I it say, yeah, that stage play went it was was a thing still wasn't it to an extent they were still wrestling with the it's not on stage thing but yeah but i remember that coming on 12 angry men and i think i was i don't know i was in a bit of a funny mood that day and i was like no oh, i'm not sure black and white and it's probably just going to drag on a bit. And then um, the next thing I remember is watching the credits and I went, oh, okay. <laughs> that, that was an incredibly good film, actually. Yeah. I initially poo-pooed it because it's black and white and things, and then I just sat there spellbound for the entirety of the film. I don't, And I don't think it would work in colour. I've, I've, and I've seen the TV movie that it was based on and, and the changes that they've made between that and the film elevate it the tv movie is fine but the 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 film it's it's interesting that you know when they went back to it to Mm. to to make it for the cinema they they did they made it better they improved it they they changed some of the characterization and the casting is although some of the casting is the same joseph sweeney and george boscovich are in in both but um yeah it's um i think it's an incredible piece of work uh yeah Yeah. Yeah. love great great movie and um and it takes me away from being 
typecast as the sci-fi guy because actually i uh <laughs> you know a lot of my favorite films that i go to over and over again aren't sci-fi you know la confidential and uh oh um, good film yeah yeah which which is which is another film i've watched uh many many times um i'm trying to think of what other what other films i watch a lot um, i quite like a war film you know i'm the great escape uh cross of iron peckinpah um uh yeah war movies interest me as well it's because that's i suppose that's men yelling at each other and shooting at each other it's, <laughs> it's, <on top. laughs> it's a perfect combination yeah, yeah. i think it's, it's interesting you say that though because obviously I've, I've done a couple of these interviews now and actually that already is becoming a little bit of a theme um amongst people that they, they don't pick like funny films i'm using inverted commas there mm. but actually they pick other styles of films yeah um, it's just quite interesting and and this i think it's a good thing it's like you say the typecast thing is like well obviously if you're funny you're just going to choose five funny films or something it's like no actually i've got a much wider palette than that and actually there are other things that interest me that you know this may be my day job if you like but actually i'm a more rounded character which kind of feeds back on what you're saying that you do have wider interests you don't just yeah one and everything else is excluded actually you have a wide interest which in some ways probably helps and constructs and feeds into the day job because it just gives you that rounded approach doesn't it rather than yeah, well, a lot of when you're doing comedy and certainly when i was writing sketches when i was doing stuff like that, it, you know the comedy comes from pastiching the serious so yeah. you, you get you you look at the serious for not consciously for inspiration so you know you would you would write a spoof of a war film you would write a spoof of a of, of a sci-fi thing so you, you're not looking to other comedy for your inspiration so much no. I, I have to do an honorable mention for zulu as well which is my go-to sunday afternoon film anything that's got a bit of sort of noble self-sacrifice or pointlessness of war vibe going i kind of like um but if i was watching comedy it would be would the monty python films life of brian was yeah. was one that that had a had a regular turnover and and uh, the uh, airplane and the naked gun i mean the naked gun i could practically do the whole script and i used to watch it with my mate john who is who is very much a film buff um a lot um but i you know i uh, and, and my mate john i used to go around to his house and he was the guy that s sort of introduced me to to movies that i love to this day so the, the untouchables and assault on oh. precinct 13 uh and uh so i always associate f films that i've been introduced to by somebody else as kind of having some sort of feel of importance because other other people know more than me so therefore i will defer oh oh what you're going to introduce me to a you know a bit of, a bit of john carpenter or a bit of this or they oh thank okay i feel i feel i feel nourished now <laughs> whereas something i would stumble on of my own volition wasn't was, wasn't quite the same with with perhaps the exception of yeah day the earth caught fire which i was very pleased to you yes. know yeah. find by accident and is another is another big favorite great um, and favorite joke or observation i'm terrible at remembering jokes that's fair enough. Even though I'm a comedian. Uh, but um, I do, and it won't work on audio. I, was what I heard the other day, Stevie Martin, who's brilliant and does loads of tips. Yes. And stuff, yeah, she just did a joke that tickled me where she was talking about um, uh, living her life through Google Maps. And she said, you know, she went to the Costa del Sol the other day because she just sort of, you know, zoomed in on a place. She said that there was a pub there called a Wotherspoons. You know, which was a Weatherspoons, but a, you know, a, a cheap knockoff version. So she said she she fantasised about going in there and ordering a lominode, which I thought was a very <laughs> funny joke. But I, th I, I think my two favourite uh, j 
jokes that stick with me because I, I really don't remember jokes. Gary Delaney does one where he says, um, I went to the garage the other day and filled the escort with diesel. She died, uh, which, is, <laughs> which is brilliant because Gary's a great one-liner merchant. And this, this one won't work on audio, but Stuart Francis, the Canadian comedian, mm-hmm. um, uh, oh, I loved it. He, he, he say, uh, and he's very dry. Uh, and he, he said, uh, uh, I've got to go soon because uh, I'm doing a meeting at Overactors Anonymous. At, um, and then he'd look at his, his watch and then yeah. sort of clasp his head and, and mouth, is that the time? And sort of do a really big overacting reaction to the fact that he was late for his meeting at Overactors Anonymous. And it's such a silly joke, but he'd do it so well. And it's the contrast between his normal deadpan demeanour and suddenly sort of losing it. It's just a, a wonderful a wonderful joke and it's got you know it's a joke about overacting and i'm you know i'm I'm probably drawn to that as well so um but i'm i'm really bad at remembering remembering jokes uh, which which might well explain my career (laughs) (laughs) no i've seen i've seen both of them a couple times and um particularly stuart francis is i remember when um twitter first started and people were following each other Stuart Francis, for no obvious reason, followed me, or so I thought. And he used to DM sort of funny stuff. And I went, I'm not sure this is Stuart Francis. So I actually reached out to his um, account, his uh, website. I said, is that you? And he went, no, I'm not on Twitter. So Uh, I actually helped him get it shut down. This person to him. Um, And that was, I think, that may be one of the first people who was spoofing a a celebrity. Um, Interesting. but But you just think, there was part of me that was really amazed that he bothered to follow me, but then you start thinking, it's not likely, is it, based on him well, being who he is and who I am? <laughs> you never know. You never no, you know. don't. And I've been very lucky since then with people who have followed back and, and conversations I've had with people. But it was just in the early days, you know, it just yes. seemed a bit unlikely, should we say. Yeah, yeah. Stuart was one of the first huge names that did Excess uh, Malarkey. He did about week eight or ten. Uh oh, wow. So really, really early days, and uh, and he loved the club, and he kept coming back, and that 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 enabled us to get a little bit of credibility. And he's always said very nice things about it, and he's a massive fan of Coronation Street. So then <laughs> when uh, when I started turning up in that, he was he was huge. He was delighted. I actually went round Coronation Street in Granada Studios with Stuart when he was visiting the UK one time because he'd always wanted to do it. Oh, amazing. Um, and there's a there's a functional there was a functional phone box on the one at Granada Studios, and and he used that and he you know poured loads of change into that just to call, I think his girlfriend always for always months somebody in Canada to say I'm calling from Coronation Street because it's huge in Canada. <laughs> so it was great to see this guy who you know I have a bit, you know a lot bit of deference to because he's such a you know huge and fantastic comic you know behaving like a like a little kid uh, on the cobbles of Coronation Street. He's a he's a good guy, Stuart. Yeah, uh, that's oh, that's wonderful. I, I love that kind of thing. I, I think um, something I've grown to understand more in the last couple of years is people. I know it sounds trite, but people are just people. You know, you, you mm. have this image of them being this uber godlike kind of person, but when you actually speak to them, they're just like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm a bit stressed because I forgot to get the toilet roll this morning. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not you know, that's not who you are. You're a godlike comedian or godlike actor you don't have to worry about such petty day-to-day things as that and it's like oh actually you do because you are just human and you are just you know well and that's that's the thing about twitter you know some if any person when they're on twitter goes oh i quite like what that person's saying i'll follow them they don't think oh i am the star of you know tv's 
battle of the planets. Uh, so I shall bestow my patronage on this nobody on Twitch. You just go, oh, I like that, but you know, but but we we put, and I sort of said, I mean, you know, my other half is very recognisable and on the telly a lot, and yes. but you know, she, she does what everybody else does if she wants you know she wants to go and buy a lolly from the shops that she does if she wants to follow somebody on twitter that she, she does yeah. and then and, and comes to her decisions in exactly the same way that, that i do or you do or anybody does yeah. you know Absolutely. Um, yeah. but i still and i have to remind myself of that because i still you know occasionally have to uh, email you know well-known people and ask them for a thing and i'm always very very tentative and you kind of get a we've had it just recently with one of the cast of the quatermass thing you go oh yes oh please hello and they go yeah no fine you go oh yeah because of course you're when you're that person it's you're not you're not you're you're not replying from lofty heights you're probably replying from your sofa while (laughs) making a cup of tea or whatever yeah absolutely yeah and and the other thing particularly about actors and comics and things like that is we we only think of them when we see them on the telly uh and do or or see them performing but a lot of an actor in comics life outside of that is doing absolutely sod all. So yeah. it's not like you're, you know, emailing somebody and they're on the set of a major movie. You yeah. might be emailing somebody during three weeks where they haven't heard from their agent and uh, and are twiddling mm-hmm. their thumbs and going, oh, I'm doing something, you know. Yeah. So so there's that as well. I think we always think of people as being that we see in things of, of having this life that's just moving from job to job. And yeah. it's very rarely like that, you know. Yes. Uh, yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. And they say sometimes they just go, "All oh, right, I, I like the look of that." And I, I found that when I um, was doing well, series two and now series three of Monsoon Jackson, that I I reached out to people fully expecting them either never to reply or to do a polite "Can you go away?" kind of response. And actually, um, pretty much everyone came back and said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll do a bit." Yeah. And it's just it's so lovely, you know. Um, yeah. It's a lovely experience. Um, and, and, just, and more so now, I think, with, with where the gatekeepers are changing and, and, and people are much more accessible. You know, in the old days, to get an actor, you had to, you know, you had to find out who their agent was and then hope that their agent would, would get in touch. Now, you you know, you don't have to do that at all. And, and in fact, I tend to find not going through agents is, is much easier. More productive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. Yeah, I do agree with that. Well, that that was question one. That's taken. Yes, us I know. I'm just conscious of half an hour in. I'm so sorry. I do. No, no, it's fine. No, it's it's wonderful, Toby. Please carry on. Uh, two. Which comedian or sketch first made you laugh? Hmm. Well, again, I've I've got two older brothers and an older sister. So again, there was always something about watching stuff that was that was brought in by older people it, it made me i you know i felt oh you know i like the stuff that older people like and so and 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 and, and, and my mum's quite a liberal old stick so you know i was allowed to stay up and watch stuff i remember a friend of hers from work being shocked when he came around and the young ones which i didn't really understand was on and i was yeah. there the, the others were watching it really but i was there and he was quite shocked that i was in the room when the young ones was on but yeah. i think it, it that that helped to sort of shape my comedy understanding uh and and a lot of monty python you know a lot of the references in monty python you you'd sort of laugh at even though you didn't know who reginald maudling was you know or whatever or hmm. cyril Connolly or arthur negus or whatever but actually i think we did know who arthur negus was but but you know they're not a lot of it's not timeless it's sort of rooted in the time and 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 then you have to again you have to go to it rather than just expecting it to come to you and i think again yes. Modern audiences, we quite often expect things to pander to us. Um, and I get quite cross with audiences where somebody will go, oh, that, that was shit. And you go, well, 
um, you know, about about a joke that maybe is is dependent on you knowing something about George Orwell for the punchline. You go, well, who's at fault there, the joke or you for not knowing it? And should and should yeah. a comic not do a joke that's got a a, a literary reference in it for fear of? alienating the audience the other side of that of course is well you don't want to be too intellectual and stuck up and exclusionary and then and, and, uh, it's a fine line and i think i think sometimes that that sort of humor with monty python i think it was often just the sound of the name as opposed to necessarily who the person was it, 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 it you know it's got it's got different elements to it you can laugh at i can sometimes laugh at a reference to a modern pop star even if i don't know who they are but because it's because of the context or the context yeah it's yeah it's um, i think but, I think it was, I don't quite remember this, I think it was Ed Byrne who said um, he was doing a gig and he was doing some killer, like, 80s and 90s comments. And he said the f- first couple of front rows were reacting to anything. Um, and he was getting a bit concerned, so he sort of paused his, his, his as he said, his, his brilliant 80s and 90s pithy comments and just basically said, um, just started talking to them and said, so when were you... Yeah, how old are you? Where were you born? And like, I think the first person he spoke to said, "Well, I was whatever it was at the time, two thousand and one or something." And it's like, yeah. no, <laughs> no, can't cope with that. It's, that's that's wrong. You can't be born in this. You know, it's just not right, is it? Uh, well, I, I had that on Tuesday, and it's it has in because I regularly MC a place. It has sort of changed, and I've regularly MC'd the same place for twenty six years. I, yeah. You know, I have moved with the times. It's forced me to move with the times, and I sure. think being a regular MC that helps in the way that sometimes you see you sometimes wonder why headline acts suddenly you know stop working or go off the boil or are not the surefire bookings they used to be and it's because yeah. they're still often doing the same thing they were doing 20 years ago yeah sure um, because you you want to do what you know is safe and what you know works whereas you can't do that when you're a regular mc at the same place mm-hmm. because you have a regular audience and you know i don't go on with material i go on with what's happened to me this week um and so with unconsciously uh, you know a lot of what i do has changed from i mean when i started out i wanted to be quite political and i was quite angry with the world i wanted to change the world and now i've become you know some you know i sort of play up the middle-aged geeky 50 year old who doesn't who's a bit old before his time and doesn't quite get anything and i get a lot of comic mileage from talk as i did on tuesday to somebody who was born in 2005 and going christ i you know i remember when pesto was new you know or whatever (laughs) right Um, uh, uh, and, and I sort of, and sometimes you know, friends will come up to me and go, "Toby, you're not, you're not as old as you, you know, you're behaving." And I go, "Well, no, but it's funny, isn't it?" Yeah. Uh, and there's yeah. an element of truth in it because I am a bit old-fashioned, and I do, and I don't. Uh, there are th- things I don't understand about the modern world, and I do. I am slightly askance at the the, the way the language is being mangled, and how people don't know things that I've heard of, and you heighten that for comic effect. Yeah. Uh, but equally, you do timeless pieces. There was the the one of the bits that just made me Howard laughter was, I think it was um was it almond milk? I think you did a you did just a a, a bit on almond milk. You got oh really yeah, that was that was just a, a, a I mean a I, I, I don't really have material anymore. It's no, just but that riff. that was just I mean a it's timeless, but b it was just so perfect. You just getting so incensed by it. <laughs> I just thought that is just a superb piece of work. Um, where do, where did I do the? Where did you see me do that? Uh, I think it was uh, online malarkey. I think. Um, ah. I think it was. You see, yeah, I, I, 
the other thing I should do, I should record some of the stuff that I'd say. I was gigging with Sarah Millican the other day, and she said, are you going to record this? And I went, no, it's just my MCing at the top. And she said, yeah, and you always do two or three things that, are, that you should you should record and keep and put into a show. Because it's point, wasted. Yeah. And, and I yeah. went on and I came off, and she went, that, you should have done that, you should have done that, and that. They, they're all good. You keep those. <laughs> and, and, of course, normally I just do them and they and they go. But I quite like a comic friend, Jason Cook, a very good friend of mine said uh, oh you're always better when you're just free-forming and making it up and that made me really lazy and that made me go well i could just never need to write anything down now <laughs> i think of the amount of stuff i might have thrown away but i also hate listening to my you won't you won't, it probably doesn't come across from the amount of gabbing on on here but i don't like listening to myself so listening to anything back to, to sort of sift the wheat from the chaff always yeah. make me feel physically sick i have to give a credit to spitting image uh, back to the question question two we we watched a lot of that and I think again that that helped educate me in politics as well because it was you know often often about you know I knew who the members of the cabinet were because they were spoofed in spitting image and that and that was something that we had on and I and 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 I always liked comedy that seemed to want to say something or uh, or, 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 or to, to to undermine power or to do all of this. Now I think a, a, a lot of comedy sometimes puts that first and there's a lot of comedy that sort of is almost saying and again i'm gonna sound like an old prick uh, uh, it's almost like because of what i'm saying you should find me funny rather than because i've done a done a joke um and i yeah. and i think we sometimes lose sight of um the, the humor amongst the righteousness and uh, I, I think we must <laughs> we must counsel counsel ourselves that you know that the intent has to be humorous if the subtext is funny and even if there's anger at its core it still ha you still have to and this is the live comic in me speaking if you're in front of an audience you got to make them laugh and i think yeah. sometimes that is and, and we're increasingly get, getting comics now that aren't you know humiliated on a friday night you know where you really have to fight for those laughs and that and that can that can beat some humility into you and if if acts are uh, a leapfrogging that and going straight into television uh i i think you know some of that some of that understanding of that's actually not you know, that that smug that points that i'm making from my you know from my my lofty heights is 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 <laughs> not is not enough to justify me saying it because it, it's there aren't enough funnies in here and actually yeah. this smug point that i'm uh making uh, might not actually translate to an audience who've all come out on a Friday night and want to forget what's going or have been working really fucking hard and don't yeah. want some, you know, poncy artist saying, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, dispensing wisdom, uh, you know, from from uh, behind, a, you know, yeah. behind the pages uh, of the yeah. garden or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, so that that was just a yes. That's a segue about again how things were better in the old days and where I where I'm from. <laughs> but I do think I do think live comedy is a is a great as a great leveler. But I had I had the we had not the nine o'clock news. I, I I taped I taped a few of the red nose days and and they had loads of classic sketches on. And I had you know I had a tape that I had to pause you know between the you know, get get rid of the yeah. noble bits. I didn't want to see you know some poor woman going to a well with a you know a thirty mile round trip to get some water with a with a pot on her head from a well. Didn't did want that. I'd want the classic Pete and Dud sketch or whatever. Uh, and I remember I think the first Red Nose Day had the ten best comedy sketches in all time. And it was the the one where the two guys, Pete and Dud, who don't know each other, bump into each other. Um, you know, we we haven't met um 
before. Yes, we've yeah. never ever seen each other before. Just a great idea. Um, and the Constable Savage sketch from Not the Nine O'Clock mm. News, uh, the, 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 the one-legged Tarzan sketch from Pete and Dud, uh, um, Gerald the uh, the gorilla sketch so i had all of those that red nose day had kindly put in in one evening and i used to and you know in those days videotapes were expensive so you only had about three so i had those <laughs> i had episodes of whose line is it anyway because i loved the whole improv thing yes. um I, I'm, yeah. I'm not so in love with it now because i sort of know the tricks and 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 again uh, and um yeah and yeah and 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 it, it, it's sometimes it doesn't quite work in stand-up nights either it can seem a little bit sort of school playy in in the rough and tumble of a f sweaty friday night comedy club and you i think you have to be really really good to do it and there are some brilliant people but there are also some quite annoying and not very good people doing it as well um uh i, I get a bit more of a purist as you go on um <laughs> but yeah, so I used to watch a lot of Whose Line Is It Anyway and all of all of that stuff. Monty Python, um, those classic sketches. Again, stuff that was probably drawn to stuff that was slightly before my time because what went before always seemed to be, again, I'm not from a time where you look back at the past and went, God, it was awful then. You, you actually had reverence for what had gone before and the classics, which is why yeah. my house always talked in revered tones about Quatermass, which always made it seem very special to me. And, you know, yeah, the Monty Python, the not the nine o'clock news, the, those groundbreaking things that have got us to where we were now, we had great yeah. respect for them because my brothers knew of them. Again, the big older brothers knew of them. They must be, I, I felt a bit more grown up liking the Absolutely. things my brothers liked. Than yeah. my school friends liked or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally understand that. Yeah, I do totally understand that. That that brings back memories for me as well. That kind of period and watching things that you were slightly too young for, probably, but not yeah. understanding it, but understanding uh, understanding it was funny, but not really understanding why, perhaps. Um, yeah. But you know, just being in that moment or that element with it. Um, yeah. 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 yeah it, was, it was. It was. It was another education, really. It yeah. was an education. Yeah. 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 Um, so question three after a, a week um, what is the most outrageous request you've ever received for attending a gig such as no money too far act and how did you handle it oh we I mean we get offered stuff for exposure all the time you know uh, and now I just say no <laughs> I'm always pol I'm always polite I remember a, a TV company years ago um, said we've got this great idea for a show uh, we get comedians and we put them in a cage in front of a you know baying drunk audience and see how they cope and I I think then I just went look it's hard enough and there are really good comedians out there why not do a show of really good comedians being really good rather mm. than uh, sort of you know ab abusing a comedian's need for exposure in order to put bums on seats and and, and sell yeah. themselves and, and do it in circumstances where it's only ever going to show them in a compromised way and i also don't like that message of saying to an audience this is how to treat performers you know there's a there's yeah. a there's an understand anyone can ruin a stand-up gig a stand-up situation just you know just by being bored repeating this that heckles are one thing but you could you could the the minute you you want to ruin a stand-up gig the, the the audience has all the power because you could you can torpedo it you can hijack it really yeah. really easily yeah. and there's a and it's not clever and it doesn't it doesn't entertain the rest of the audience it's selfish it's bullying it's boorish all that sort of thing there is mm. a there is a, an unspoken understanding that go you know we're all here for a reason but you've got to kind of come to me a little bit you've got to yeah. kind of yeah. trust 
Trust me. And you've got also, you've got to have that, you know, at a stand up night when there's four or five people and you might not like one of them, but that's 15 minutes out of your life. Shut up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't be such a fucking baby. Uh, I, you know, I get very short shrift, especially if it's the open spot who's struggling. If somebody goes, oh, well, shit. You go, well, obviously they were. They weren't getting any laughs. You don't need to add to that. No, uh, and, and it's part of it. And I've seen, you know, open spots struggle and be, be poor. And that's been part of their learning curve. And they've gone on to be, you know, extremely skilled, gifted comics because you can only learn the job by doing it. Um, and I, I have very little respect for people that can't, can't sit through 10 minutes of somebody that isn't their cup of tea without it, it, losing all their social skills and basic manners. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I think it's lovely to see, um, well, it's every year, but just obviously it's relevant at the moment with the fringe being on that there's a couple of new or upcoming comedians who were posting about, I've only sold one ticket. Yeah. And it was lovely. To see, I mean, obviously they were, they were the haters because there always are, aren't they? They just lurk their waiting, but it was lovely to see a load of comedians piling in saying, it'll get better. It'll be all right. You'll be fine. Yeah. You know, you know, I thought, what? Well, that's such a lovely attitude of, yes, it is a bit crappy that you've you had to sell both of your kidneys to afford Ed Fringe, but it will get better, you know. Yeah. You just yeah, that, that, you know. That was, and actually not just new and upper comic comics, Nick Wilty, who's been around, God, longer than me, who's an excellent comic. Uh, Robin Ince was championing his show and posted yesterday that Nick had got had no no nobody turn up yesterday. Oh wow. And you go and he's been going forever and he's, you know, has earned his stripes and is very, very good. Yeah. Um, and that 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 metaphor is actually uh, um works on another level because his show is about the time when he was a young soldier as well. So it's a show that's, you know, really about something but has all yeah. you know all Nick's acquired skill from just being a veteran comic uh, augmenting that as well so i think that would be a you know an amazing prospect and yet even somebody who's doing that um you know yesterday had no tickets sold and you go oh it's just uh... something and you know people like robin you know then i mean when i first did moth Ape, my doctor who scarf i'd agreed to have critics in early because it was the only way i was going to get reviewed i think yeah. um and, and they said well will you let them into previews because then you know, you're more likely to get reviewed because they'll be seeing the people that they've sort of heard of and know or, or whatever in the first week. So you might not get any, or if you do until the last week, so I went, I'll oh, let them in. And then of course, you know, I'd got, you know, I'd sold eight tickets or whatever. So you send the SOS around. Yeah. And when, when I had, I think three critics in on, on my first or second night, the audience had Robin Ince, Sarah Millican, uh, you know, and Sarah, Sarah was an unknown comic then, but wow. various people who I'd sent the SOS out to who knew that having a friendly face in the audience would enable me to yeah. do a better show. And yeah. actually the Durham Review who were there, who I didn't know, but they were on in the same building as me. They'd come early because they had free tickets because they were, they were in the same venue or whatever. And that was Nish Kumar, Ed Gamble, Tom Neenan. I mean, it was it was a whole... Yeah. It was a whole bunch of future stars. And again, every time I had the sort of Perrier panel in or reviewers in, I'd sort of, because they, I'd noticed they'd come about two or three times because Tom is a particularly big Doctor Who fan. And, and I'd just occasionally say to them, I don't suppose you, you, you're free this evening, are you? I could, I could do with a couple of extra ones. See. So they came to see it loads of times. And I didn't know them from before, but that was just, just about, because everyone's in the same boat and it is a it is quite a selfish business it is very much you're an individual much more than when you're an actor as part of a troupe or whatever but actually yeah. most comics are pretty decent and most comics most comics have had humility have been humbled at some point 
Uh, and we all know, you know, everybody knows what it's like to die on their ass. Everybody knows what it's like to get mm. overlooked for a gig. Everybody knows, everybody has that one gig that never books them and yet books that person. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and, 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 and when you realize that it's happened to acts that you really admire as well, that can be quite encouraging. But also when you're on the other side of it and you see it happening to somebody, you go, God, well, I've been there and it doesn't take much to, no. to show a bit of solidarity. No, yeah, no, and I and I kind of love that about the community. I, I know people sort of supporting you, uh, you know, mm. making that effort to be there and, and provide just that body, even if it's just bodies in the room, but just that element of support, you know, just to make you perform that bit better or feel a bit more. I just think that's lovely that people do that. Um, yeah, and I've seen that particularly in in comedy um, where you know, people will step up and you know provide their their love, their their time, and I just think that's just that's just lovely because you say it can be quite a lonely, you know, yeah. career-wise. You know, if you're if you're just tanking up and down the M1 all the time uh, for gigs, you know, it's quite a lonely path, isn't it? But and a, and a lot of successful comics give back. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, mm. you know, I run Access Malaki, and I've also just started in a new new material night called Testing Testing, and I and I reached out to you know pretty much everyone and went look would you would you be interested in a new material night you know it's it's you know it's it's not it's not at the comedy store like my old one used to be but you know i'm trying to make a go of it and will it work and of course everybody came out of the woodwork and said yeah get me in for that night get me in for that and these are acts that don't you know don't necessarily need to do it although i mean sarah millican's done it a couple of times and said you know I, and is very grateful um because she but that's because she's a grafter and she you know she really does you know forensically work through her new stuff but i always still feel that she's doing me the favor even <laughs> though she's very kind enough to say that it's helpful to her and i suppose it must be otherwise she wouldn't do it but um but i, yeah, but I also think that i i mean for me obviously i'm i'm not in you know, in that world very much but but even just as a bit of an outsider to it i think the comics who've kept their feet on the ground for want of a better way of putting it have kept yeah that reality check um yeah. i just think they're better for it that they they haven't suddenly become this don't touch me I'm no they're more. all they're all great sarah is a fantastic woman who was very who's been very kind to me on a on a personal level as well as professionally uh, gary her, her husband as well he's a fantastic yeah, yeah. comic a yeah. terrific bloke um uh jason manford you know comes back and supports all of the Manchester comedy clubs. When Jason Manford was nominated for the Perrier, mm. uh, he rang me up and said, are you in this afternoon? And I went, yeah. And he, and he pulled up in his car. And as part of his prize for being nominated for the Perrier, I think he got six bottles of champagne and he gave them all to people like me who, uh, who'd given him gigs early in his career. He didn't need oh, to do and he yeah. took the trouble to come round and drop it off and thank him person. He's a good, he's a good bloke, Jason. Um, John Bishop, uh, always been somebody with his feet firmly on the ground. Always, yes. you know, very nice. Justin Morehouse, uh, uh, Russell Russell Kane. They're all people that you know still are, are in touch with the grassroots, as it were. Yeah, and um, yeah. and are, and are very nice people. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think um, uh, I uh, not going into it, but I saw the news. There's a, a couple who are going to be charged with various offences, and it just makes you remember that. There are the bad seeds, but I think majority-wise, I think most people are lovely. So. Well, yeah, and I have to add the caveat because I have been very ignorant of some of this because you don't know. I, you know, I'm no. a, I'm a, I'm a middle-aged white guy, and I was a young. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, 
I have not had the experiences that a lot of women have had on the stand-up circuit. And no. I think I was very ignorant of some of the stuff that went on. You know, I have not been treated in a way that uh, 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 a young woman coming up on the circuit might have done and had mm -hmm. various uh, pressures and attitudes, uh, not, you know, audiences aside, but within the, the sort of yeah. machinations of the industry that I, I would put, had no clue about and, and now are really coming out and make sense. And funny enough, I was on a train the other day and there was a young woman sitting opposite me and, and a bloke got on and he was slightly older than me i'd say and they struck up a conversation and it turned out she was uh, an apprentice police cadet and he was a retired inspector and they started talking about the job and he cracked he was going to the football and he cracked open his heineken and over the course of an hour and a half uh he bought her a couple of cans of cider and blah blah, blah. and she she was obviously trying to probe him for insight into the job and as yeah. as it went on he got a bit more coarse about oh god yeah and you could uh you know I used to get a blowjob on the steps of the station and blood and and and, and he started getting sort of a bit sexual and a bit leery and he was saying oh, i don't need to go to a football match why don't we carry this on in the pub and blah blah, blah. and anyway he he, he uh, when we got to london he got off and he and he kissed her gentlemanly on the hand and off off he went to his football match and i said to us you had an interesting journey then and she said I thought I was going to get loads of insight from a retired police inspector. And instead, I just got this old, you know, old geezer, yeah. you know, getting more and more sexual as the as the as the conversation went on. And I thought this this if I hadn't witnessed that, it made utter sense to me, you know, yeah. overhearing it. But. And, and the fact that she was, you know, like this was sort of boringly predictable for her. And you go, there's stuff yeah. that I yeah. don't no because i don't experience but as soon as you see it happening it makes absolute sense because you know what men are like and you know what certain men are like and, yes. I, and I know there's a lot of kickback now from women in the industry going you know we've had to put up with a load of shit um and yeah, yeah so yeah. certainly yeah, the fact that some people off the telly are lovely um doesn't doesn't uh yes doesn't take away from the fact that within the industry there's been a lot of um uh appalling behavior that is some of which has been called to account and from what i understand it a lot of which uh still has yet to be um, yet to be i i don't want to do too much of that but i think that, that i um, someone's saying there was a comic who made the point of comedy is one of the few things that doesn't have an hr department so that's yeah why, yeah know. but anyway um i'm conscious we're, we're coming up to the first hour we we haven't yet made it to question before so oh, God. <laughs> uh well, four. Um, well, if if only one comedy festival was allowed to survive, which one would you fight for and why? Well, it would have to be um, Edinburgh, even though there are so many things wrong with it. Um, uh, <laughs> P, you know, PR companies, the money, uh, yeah. the you know, the fact that the TV people who think they're, you know, watching people. I remember seeing a thing at the Edinburgh Festival proper where my other half was giving a a, a speech and there were various industry people patting themselves on the back and this one <laughs> woman from some tv channel said and i remember seeing ramesh ranganathan in this venue that was and her implication was she'd seen him in the arse end of nowhere and was there you know yeah. a cold face digger and, and the <laughs> venue she described was one that you only get to do if you're being put on by a massive and it was you know seats yeah. loads and loads of people and it was a prime spot and a prime time you go you kid yourselves that you yes. go and sniff stuff out. What you do is you have coffees and teas and champagnes and whatever else is with the PR companies who are attached to the big agencies. Um, and it's, you know, and it's corrupt is perhaps too strong, but it's short sighted and it's lazy. Uh, and there's a lot of money being made for, for the people who don't give a fuck. Uh, and, um, uh, at, at the expense of the people, um, 
know, there's a lot of cultural vampires basically who seem yeah. to be the ones that, that 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 make the living. While you know the lifeblood of it, the artists are we're expected to do it because it's a vocation. You know, well, you like doing it, don't you? And uh, and and of course, because the the stakes are quite high, and you know, high, and you know, out of every Edinburgh will be you know five or ten people who'd gone there as a job in comic and end up on a path that will make them millionaires. There are also lots of really really good people who get overlooked, uh, and the accommodation yeah, yeah. the accommodation's a big issue. The the yeah. way that certain venues are sewn up is a big issue. The fact that a couple of couple mm. of very powerful agencies have a stranglehold on on the broadcasters, I think, is is uh, hugely egregious and i think that's a big problem and it's a big problem with the bbc as well who's a public service broadcaster should be obligated not to, to uh have programs made by production companies who then fill it with their own talent i think there's a, you know, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues there yeah. uh, i think and, and also i think the bbc should not be you know just chasing b- big names i think they should be they should they should be creating uh you know, creating talent, and again, when they say that they are, no, what they're doing is they're they're taking, uh, perhaps the, the you know they're, they're they're taking the up and coming in inverted commas from the books of the people that also represent the big comedians that they want to court. Yeah, it's yeah. all a little bit sewn up. So there's so much wrong with it. But what you have to remember, because I don't want to be Mister Bittero, because the, I, I've interviewed so many actors and performers, and it saddens me that so many people end up bitter and and unhappy and slighted what you always have to remember and what i always have in mind because i'm i don't think i am but i get frustrated i get angry at injustice bloody bloody whatever and obviously i have personal ambition a lot of which is unfulfilled and frustrates me but you have to remember it is not nobody said it was fair so any idea that this is not fair that i have not got this thing is a ridiculous idea because it's not it's not there's no there's no such thing as fairness within it it's a buyer's market they employ who they want to employ now that the tables are sometimes stacked um there's there's sometimes deals that go up whatever whatever but but that is the same system that we all work under absolutely people get the break and some people don't and often it's got nothing to do with talent and you have to just do what you do and nobody is taking a job off you but especially as com- comedy is such a personal thing and you are part of the product as it were and, and nobody can replace you it's whether what you do is what they happen to want at the moment um and you can do you know you have to keep producing stuff nobody ever said i would love after 26 years for there to be some sort of forward momentum and not to be constantly having to generate <laughs> my own shit just for somebody to do the fucking admin but <laughs> Uh, you know at home living in the country in the middle of nowhere i would write my own scripts i would put on plays in my own bedroom just for me it's what i've always kind of done and and it's kind of what you always have to do and actually i've i know people who've got to the position where you know they're they're doing something which looks to me like it must be amazing and the frustrations that they have there the people they have to work with the compromises even at the top level there are you know useless people doing who don't give a fuck doing bad jobs and, and compromising your product. At least I know on a Tuesday night, the show that I'm doing is is pretty much shaped by me and I'm working with people I want to work yeah, with because I've chosen them. So uh, it's a, the constant, for all the frustrations and all the injustices in inverted commas, as I say, I'm not sure there's such a thing as justice really. We all no. want, every, everybody wants to do well, don't they? Um, <laughs> uh, so long as you know you're, you're doing a thing 
that is ultimately unsatisfying because you will always have unfulfilled goals. It is ultimately a, a, a psychological wrecking ball because even if you have success, and I know people who've had huge success, what's next is that you might not match that level of success and then you think you're going on a downward spiral. So actually being really, really successful is a problem because what do you do when that's over? And I've seen people not cope with that. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. you just have to be level-headed about it and, uh, and, 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 and do, at the end of the day, do what you want to do and hope enough people like it. Yeah. It's not always easy. Sometimes really frustrating. Sometimes no, really and you're also right, in, in, the, in the world I'm trying to live in, in the sort of film and script world, I think I've, I've placed in things in competitions and in your head you think, right, that's it, I'm off to Hollywood next. You know, yeah. that's, you know, it's in the bag. Within a year it'll be in production and, you yeah. know, and then nothing happens absolutely nothing at all happens you know no one contacts you nothing happened and you just move on to the next thing and you go well that was nice that i placed or you know was it a finalist in the competition or whatever but but actually it's not fair um yeah you know uh, and the thing is not to not to be bitter because it eats you up and as i say i've you know i've spoken to people who i've really admired who's who've had careers i'd have killed for who yeah. are ultimately unsatisfied. And, you, and it's actually the realisation that the pot of gold, and I don't mean financial here, uh, no. is, is, is not at the end of the entertainment industry rainbow. It's actually in doing your garden and walking your dog and having a, a home life that is satisfying factory because you know we work you know you think oh if i become a hollywood millionaire tomorrow i'll be i'll have a house that i like and i'll you know they, blah, blah, blah. You, you know we you well you can create an environment around yourself that is divorced from that and actually that's i wish i'd spent more time with my my kids when they were growing up rather than chasing you know a gig for 80 quid in the arts end of arts end of devon because i thought you know you have to gig all of the time and yeah. you you can get your priorities wrong that doesn't mean you shouldn't be ambitious and you shouldn't and you, you shouldn't you, and you have to work really really hard for it and, and you know all the successful comedians i know whether you listener think they're funny or not are people who have grafted uh and put yeah. you know and, and put a lot in you know the, the, even that comedian that's on telly all the time that you think's a bit overrated they are usually somebody that has really worked hard to get where they are yeah. um it's, it's the overnight I, I talked about this on another one of them it's the overnight success yeah. line, which is so irritating it's like no they they didn't wake up this morning say i'm going to be a comedian and by the evening they were sort of live at the palladium yeah, it's absolutely. 10, 15, 20 years of hard graft and yeah. driving to, the, like you say, the middle of nowhere and doing things for exposure and all that other thing. Yeah. And, yeah. and at some point, that for some people, the stars align and something big happens for them. But this overnight success thing is just such bollocks. You know? Yeah, it is. Um, so, I, so yeah, so to the question, I would I would want Edinburgh to survive, but uh, I, 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 it, it needs some serious caveats <laughs> and, and it looks like the the you know the modern world is making that happen because hmm. the internet has proved to be very powerful uh but um and, and i think the the sense i get from the people there right now is that that, that things have changed a little bit but but change good. is good change is good yeah absolutely yeah uh question five do you have a lucky totem that has to attend every show event or writing room with you what do you believe it would happen if you lost it i mean i used to i mean all comics go through going oh well i'll wear that outfit again because <laughs> i stormed it in that outfit and i yeah. went through various different sort of looks um uh but but and jess fosterq uh, i worked with on tuesday and she did a great line because she'd got some new sort of cowboy boots on and she said uh you know I'm, I'm trying out some new material to see if it works but it's largely to see if these are lucky boots uh and then she said or the other alternative which is the only other alternative 
cursed. Uh, <laughs> and I thought that was that was a brilliant summation of you know what what, what we talk about when we do that. Yeah, they're either these these boots. The entire reason the gig has gone well, or they're they're the reason it's gone really 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 badly. Um, boots, so that, yeah. that way, madness lies, and yeah. I think I am inclined in that direction, and so I have to not be. Uh, otherwise, I would do too much. It's a bit like having my – I do jokes about having my CDs and DVDs all in a particular order because I'm that sort of person. I actually don't. I'm actually really untidy, and I sort of put that – and I will occasionally tidy them up and put them in order. Um, yeah. But I think I give the impression of somebody who, who, for all, they have to be in absolutely <laughs> the right place. And I think deep down I probably am. And so to resist that – it's a bit like the collector thing. I haven't got all of the Doctor Who annuals, uh, and I haven't got because I mean I would if they were available, but I haven't I haven't worked hard to get them because I think because I think otherwise I would dive too deep and it yeah. would ruin it would ruin my life that I haven't got the first Pertwee annual, for example. Whereas there, I could just go, no, it's fine. There's the, there was a, a scene in Good Omens too, and I immediately thought of you and thought, why isn't Toby cast in that role? Um, ah. He's well, he's. He, he's basically trying to lure this uh, human to a meeting and he's a bookseller um and one of the, the ways he's doing it is offering up what the book their heart desires and i think it's the now i know i'm gonna i know who you are and i'm really scared to say this because i'm gonna get it horribly wrong but i think it was the, the 1985 doctor who annual which never existed oh uh, yes but i've got i've got the only impression of the annual and if you come to the meeting i'll let you have it and this guy, his face lights up, and he's just like, "Oh, well, in that case, I'm definitely coming to the meeting." And I just immediately thought, <laughs> "Well, why did they get Toby in? Say, I'll have, I'll have that 1985 first impression, never printed version. Thank you." <laughs> Fun enough, I, 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 I can't say so I am up for a for a part in something. I've just done a self tape for something last night for Brilliant. something where uh, it's interesting. Where if I get it, 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 it is, it will essentially be a be a, a joke and the people watching it who know who i am will go yeah. oh well of course toes back but they <laughs> might just give it to another actor who who looks more like the director expects i'm looking who the casting director is of good omens yeah never been seen by them so that's why they, they haven't got a clue who i am <laughs> well, well given there was a number of um, because obviously uh, tenants in it um yeah and and there are references like you know to the fez and bigger on the inside and there's a few other sort of comments being made and i just thought I think they're doing a good omens three. So if anyone's listening is involved in it, just give Toby a ring because he, yeah. really, he should really be in it if you're going to do Doctor Who references. Absolutely. I think there should be a law. <laughs> My mate Andrew O'Neill's in it, so uh, yeah, if, yeah. Andrew's, if Andrew's in it, go, go on. I'll 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 uh, I'll I'll hang on Andrew's coattails. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, no, you don't. You have no need to. You've got your own coattails. But uh, I just yeah. saying you should you should be in that uh, for some. Even if it's a throwaway line or something, which says something where people who know you go, oh, of course, yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, a bit like Count Magnus last Christmas, where wasn't 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 the biggest part, but uh, everybody noticed it was me. You yes, go, well, yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, yeah, I th I think. Uh, I'm at an advantage over some actors in that I I can do a small bit in something, and it's not oh you know um, lowly actor doing a doing a cacophonous bit. It's it's like oh it's an apposite cameo, you know. It's, I mean it's it's the same money, it's the same yeah. gig, but because it's got the it's got the thing of it's a bit of an in joke. It, it somehow seems like I'm bestowing something on the production. Whereas actually, I'm just I'm they just have, to have you. I'm just pecking around for scraps of food like every other fucker. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they they had to have you, otherwise the joke wouldn't work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
so no, I don't have any. I remember, I do remember, I I wore some lucky pants for a couple of gigs, but um, that was a very <laughs> very long time ago. Um, name one time you were proud of your work, and why? Well, I'm very proud of Moth Sake, my Doctor Who scarf. Uh, it was one of yeah. those, you know, I went in I went in with no expectations really. I just wanted to do an Edinburgh show. My friend suggested I do one about Doctor Who. That hadn't been a that that had, again, I when I started life I wanted to be a, a political comedian who changed the world with um with thoughts and ideas and righteous indignation. Um and, and in fact there was a lot of that in early drafts and versions of Moth Sake, my Doctor Who scarf, and indeed in the ultimate one. And I look back now and that stuff is the stuff that sits less well. I was I, I was sort of a bit more resistant to the um you know the person who enjoys being a geek and celebrates being a geek and is sad about his dad leaving and all that sort of human stuff i didn't that wasn't really the show to me but oddly that was what people responded to uh and i also didn't think many people would i i I, I intended it to be something people identified with but of course you you know so many people go oh that was that was my life that i you know i was just telling a very that's from emceeing every tuesday you know i was telling something very particular to me and trying to make it funny so you know the the me remembering the name of every actor that's ever been in doctor who wasn't to go and do you do that too it's like oh my god aren't i an idiot um but a lot of people go yeah that's me as well so it had lots of unintended consequences so in a way i'd I'd hit upon something without sort of really realizing it it's a lesson to go you might think that bit you did where you ripped the bnp a new arsehole was the the important stuff but loads of comedians do that actually what what was nice was that you had whole families coming to the show and 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 appealing to different members of them in in different ways and that was a real lesson to me going actually you don't have to be cynical and hard-hitting uh to do comedy that is in inverted commas worthy you can do something that sort of means something to somebody or comforts people or or celebrate something that they like as well because there's a lot of cynicism in this game and i i certainly uh you know i'm a glass half empty sort of person and i think a lot of (laughs) comedy my comedy early on sort of often often went that way and i i I now get quite annoyed with comics who just go yeah isn't this shit isn't that shit that's all rubbish isn't it and i'm Mm. much more inclined to now be positive uh and and revel in stuff that is good rather than be sort of loftily disdainful of something that is because you can take apart anything you like really um and so dr must take my doctor who scuff in, taught me that in a way that i hadn't expected it to but uh, and, it, and it, uh, it had far more success than i would have imagined and i do I'm, I'm a bits of it now i look at and go god i wouldn't say that or i wouldn't do that or that bit doesn't quite work but but i still think it stands up and for where it was when I did it, uh, and it opened up so many doors. But I, th- I think, I mean, it's a poison chalice slightly because it, it means I'm the Doctor Who guy, and I've had so much <laughs> work through Doctor Who that my ten year old self would have been delighted by. But you know, then there's part of you because you're never satisfied in this game. It's part of you go, yeah. yeah, but I am actually a legitimate comedian under my own steam. You know, I don't just yes. want to be yes. the Doctor Who guy. Uh, yeah. I'm a Shakespearean actor as well. You know, but, yeah. Yeah. but. What what that means is I've had loads of really nice work, so get over yourself, you prick, um, <laughs> and don't and actually don't worry about what other people see you as anyway, because you can't control that. No, you um, can't. Um, so I'm I'm very proud of that. I'm also proud of quite recently of um of a podcast I've done called Indefinable Magic, and I did I did a, a, an episode yes. about disability representation in Doctor Who, and I think with those which are really quite hard. They're what I'd imagine a Doctor Who show would be if Radio 4 was a Doctor Who channel. They're sort of, (laughs) you know, they're they're thoughtful, they're whimsical, they've got some good jokes in, but they're, you know, also they go quite deep dive and, you know, they they make no concessions to the audience, not necessarily knowing what you're talking about. And the one on disability, I think, was balanced with something that was informative, 
something that was educational and something that was entertaining, which is what the BBC used to aspire to do, you know. Um, uh, although I saw an advert for the BBC podcast where two people from The Only Way is Essex were talking about shaving their pubes, and I was wondering why I couldn't get a podcast out of the BBC, but there we go. Uh, <laughs> and you've got to not be bitter, you've just got to do your own thing. And I'm, I'm quite proud yeah. of I'm quite proud of that edition, and I enjoy, I enjoy the Indefinable Magics because they're Doctor Who without necessarily just being Doctor Who. But it all stems from um, Mothsate, my Doctor Who scarf. Oh, and also at Edinburgh, I did a production of Accidental Death of an Anarchist uh, in which I played the maniac, and that was really funny, and we got really good reviews and sold out that, and that has nothing to do with Doctor Who. So, of course, I'm very proud of that. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and Midsummer Night's Dream at the Royal Exchange, in which I played Snout and Wall, was probably my favourite acting engagement, and I made. Oh wow! That. That's yeah. yeah, and I love acting in Shakespeare. That is my favourite thing to do. That is what, if I could choose anything, that is what I'd do forever. Um, so that was acting in Shakespeare at a wonderful theatre. Some really good friends I made in that cast, uh, and I I got an exit round every night because I was funny. Hooray! <laughs> Pretty well done, you. <laughs> uh, question. Um, uh, usually by the way I agonise and I go over what I've done and I hate it and I wish it wasn't out there <laughs> I just because I suddenly I don't want to have sounded too I, I, I really embrace that question because normally I'm going oh that was shit that was awful oh I hate that so I, I took it in the spirit that it was intended but I'm normally it's, it's like when people say oh on that you you got that wrong and you go i know i did i've been <laughs> agonizing about that since i did it but it's out there it's too late now I, it's every, exactly, yeah every I, gig i do i overanalyze um feel sick and think was rubbish uh so you have to just sort of fling it out there now and, and try not to worry about it yeah i was literally going to say i a couple of i've managed to create hopefully another one later this year but i've done a couple of short films and, and there's never enough time or money um or anything to do it exactly precisely how I'd love it to be, but you eventually just have to say, but that's close enough. Yeah. What you've got, just get it out there. Stop agonizing over. Yeah. But that bit, we should have filmed that bit again, or we should have done that extra scene or whatever yeah, it is. You, think, yeah, but you could never, you could just completely paralyze yourself. Couldn't you with, well, I've just, I've just flung out another indefinable magic. Um, and it was one that could have probably done with another rewrite. And I put it on my Patreon first. And a few people said, oh, there's this and there's that. And I thought, yeah, actually, that would really work if I... And it's, I've been sitting on it for two months. And I just thought, it's a free podcast. It's an hour yeah. long. It's got good jokes in it. It could probably do with another pass, but there's only so much you can do, and it's fine. Just get it out there. Just get it out there. I don't have to listen to it, um, and because I think again that, that that need to get everything perfect, which especially as it's something that's pre-written and pre-recorded rather than you know a live and spontaneous thing. Mm. But then you go, I've got to, you, you've got to be slightly less precious, and also, um, you know, pe people don't see the faults. I mean, Doctor Who fans always see the faults, but a lot of people don't see the faults that, that you see because they don't know that joke that you thought you could work in there if you spent an afternoon, you know, rejigging yeah, it and blah, blah, blah. Well, I, as you know, I'm, I'm a patron, Toby, but I, I I thought a long time ago, not not just with your work, but with everyone's work, that even if I spot something I think is, you know, or this is wrong, or, that, or I think this is wrong, I think this is accurate, just don't, don't just let it go. There's, there's no need to sort of pop your head over the parapet and go, oh, by the way, you got that wrong. Unless it's something you think would be quite useful for them. But otherwise, just... Yeah. 
No, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy for patrons to point out things that I then don't put out for the general public. <laughs> they're, 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 they're sort of like a quality control. They think they think I'm giving that they're getting stuff early. What they're actually doing is they're they're, they're, out, they're, they're sifting out the crap. Um, uh, but also, and also, the other thing is, let's be you know, if 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 it was something that was being produced by the BBC, I think to to sort of say, oh, you know, that that could have done with another pass or that could have, because, but I would have people to do that because yeah. this is stuff that goes out for free on iTunes. You know, people, I think people have to be a a, a little bit more forgiving, but, but yes. also be a little bit more, you know, a bit more generous for, for for the because they might have good quality content that people produce for nothing now. Yes. I listen to some brilliant podcasts that I pay nothing for, yeah. um, which is, you know, is it's a it's a, and, and and of course it seems odd to us because of the generation that we're from. But you know, mm-hmm. the generation coming up, they're going to expect content that is free, 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 and that mm-hmm. is going to be really interesting for creators. I'm very lucky with my Patreon; people are very kind. Um, you know, it's it's small; it's not it's no big deal. But I don't want a yacht anyway. But it does enable me to stay at home uh, f- for a couple of weekends um, uh, uh, where I might have had to go and, you know, do th- yeah. a weekend of gigging in Newcastle, which I'm getting yeah. too old to do now. Um, so, you know, I'm very, very lucky. But, but I also know, you know, D- D- Adam Rowe and Dan Nightingale, two excellent comics who were doing very well on the circuit. Um, Dan, yeah. in particular, was always overlooked by by telly uh, and uh, partially his own choice early in his career because he wanted to become the best live comic possible before taking any offers, uh, which was very admirable of him. But then it meant that he suddenly wasn't in fashion with those people. And he's easily one of the best stand-ups in the country, Dan, and should be hugely famous. Uh, started doing a podcast with Adam in lockdown and is now selling out arenas. And that is quite right. Yes. Uh, yeah, I love it when that thing, when that happens. That is really nice when that happens. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm just conscious. So we did skip over question six. Oh, what, what was that? Oh, if you oh, if you, question six. I'm so sorry. If you could pretend no, no, the radio show, TV, or show, f- or film was written by you, which one would you blatantly steal? Well, I'll make the serious point about actually uh, theft of material is a blight on the comedy circuit and shouldn't be uh, uh, shouldn't, sh- shouldn't be invoked even in just. Um, uh, actually, that doesn't happen so much anymore because uh, social media people get called out. But it, it was a it was a problem back in the day sometimes, mm. uh, and it's something people don't get. People go, "Oh, comics steal jokes all the time." No, they don't. Um, that's not true. Um, uh, so what? But if I could pretend, so basically the question is what what do i what do i really wish that i'd um i i, I remember realizing that, that robin ince was one of my favorite comics because he used mm. to do routines where i'd go oh i thought of that <laughs> but i thought of it without thinking of it do you know what, I mean? what what he has just said is what i think in a really funny way but i've never thought to say it that way or on stage and that's a, i think that's a sign of a comedian that you always really chime with and admire when they when they put into uh, words, thoughts that you knew you had without you realizing that you had them. Yeah, uh, yes, uh, yes. And I remember watching Robin do a, a set there and just thinking, oh, this he speaks my language absolutely fluently. But if I could pretend a sketch, a radio show, a TV show, a film was written by me, which one would I blatantly steal? Mm, what, so what do I think is the perfect? Uh, oh, now you're setting it up. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or is it just one that, ch- is it just one that, uh, one that, that chimes with me? Uh, in particular, um, 
well, my God, I'd, I'd have loved to have written Quatermass in the Pit, but it didn't make Nigel Neal happy. Uh, it's, you know, it's, again, it's the sign. It's the sign that uh, oh, he spent his whole life being cross about things. And you think oh, just be just be happy, you're the Quatermass guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but which I'm just trying because I'm sure there is probably a sketch where you'd go, oh yeah, I uh, I wish I'd written that. Um, uh, but it's a hard. That's a hard one. Um, Fair enough. No, no, it's it's fine. It, it, it's a uh, you've mentioned a couple of things which I agree Hitchhiker's with. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy yeah. is very much. I'm very much in tune with that. That's very much a synthesis of all the things I like and and my kind of style of hu- humour. Um, yeah. uh, that is obviously the work of a genius, but I feel is not too far away with what I could have done had I had I been capable, <laughs> just if that makes sense, you know, it's, a, it's not, it's not too many DNA strands away from me, if you like. Um, yeah, D- Douglas Adams is very much my, uh, formative, uh, yeah. uh, sort of person in my life. Um, just, yeah, those books just have always stayed with me and will always stay with me. So yeah. I absolutely agree. Um, so name one time you could have curled up into a ball and let the universe, swallow you whole well a number of gigs i mean i've you know i've had gigs where I, and I think i remember one in particular when i was um previewing my bbc show i think it was in oxford and it started really well and was going really well and i said something and i can't remember what it was now oh. that lost me the audience yeah. and the and the second half hour of that was really difficult um, yeah. and i think yeah. the frustration there was that one i'd had a really good crowd had come in because they'd come, because I think they were supporters of that theatre or whatever. Um, yeah. So it was a really good gig. It was a really supportive gig that was there for the taking. And whatever went wrong was my fault. And and that's and you know you got to hold your hands up and go. But it was a preview. That's what previews are for. I was trying to see how a show worked, uh, and that process, which is sick making, I think that's my least favourite part of being a comedian doing a, a, an Edinburgh show. And I don't think I benefit particularly from previews. I, I got far more from doing it in my friend Mark's front room to either him or him and his uh, his wife and her sister, which is another kind of exposing because you don't get laughs really so much. You don't, or, or if you do, it's not like doing it to a room. And that's quite naked, but it's not as human. I, I think that sort of, braveness for i know it's a it's a, it's a very loose it's not like brave people who you know go and rescue oil rigs or serve in afghanistan or, or, or do things in hospitals or whatever but but in terms of the braveness of performance that kind of one which is quite exposing where it's just you and three people in a room is yeah. is somehow less daunting to me i can sort of throw my inhibitions away than than doing a room full of strangers where you're having to sort of do stuff that might not work and that you're yeah. finding the funny in and that you will get wrong because when you're doing an hour show you actually have to learn it whereas when i'm emceeing i've got i can go anywhere i bloody well want um, <laughs> an instinct takes you to some places um so you're having to do a sort of job and and sometimes and i had i had previews of my, say, my doctor who scarf as well which were really hard because you take the gigs that you can get so you're doing a a, a, a pub in bolton that's normally just a comedy night of people doing you know i went to the shops the other day or whatever and then you're suddenly going and now i'm going to do a whole hour on doctor who and they're like well this isn't what we signed up for we've just come to our comedy night you know yeah. it's all doctor who said somebody after 15 minutes <laughs> uh 
<laughs> and I used to react badly to that as well. I go, you know, you, you know, you go, well, actually, that's a reasonable. They have a reasonable point. They've, mm. they, you know, what they they haven't come to see a show all about one particular, you know. Uh, uh, even though I tried to make my Doctor Who show, you know, relevant to people that had never seen the show, that was one of the things we learnt during the previews. Was Mark said, uh, who was my director, said, um, actually, you know, don't do any jokes that don't relate to your life um, and your experiences, um, and don't do any jokes that will only be understood by Doctor Who fans. So <laughs> actually, those those previews were very uh, educational in that way, but it didn't mean that they were nice to do. Even the ones that went okay were still, yeah. I could still feel that churning stomach. And that mm. lack of satisfaction, because it, you know it has to be a gig by that. It, this nature doesn't work, because then you know what bits you need to change. Or yeah, I must yeah, say, my Doctor yeah. Who scarf went through many different iterations before we got the show that it was, and that was as a result of trying and failing. And it's horrible, and it's a grinding process more so than just a gig that doesn't go well and they and they happen as well and they're obviously horrible and i remember some from 15 years ago when i and i remember the look on somebody's face where i don't remember you know ones that went absolutely brilliantly and uh, and were fantastic yes. um, but those preview ones i think because there's a job to do but that one in oxford was because whatever i did it was my fault that audience mm. were nice they were there for the taking and i somehow put them off me uh and Oh, I'm a, I'm a, I go crimson at the thought of it. But there's there's so many some auditions I've done, screen tests that I've done where you go, oh, you know, and 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 and, and I'm never the same in front of sort of industry professionals as I am in front of just an audience of ticket payers. So I'm there to go, oh, I like you, and I'm here to I'm here to entertain you, and this is fun, and thanks for coming, and I'm grateful. Whereas industry professionals, casting directors, they're so much more reliant, and, and they seem to be so important that you you feel like a child in front of them. Even yeah. people who, you know, we've yeah. talked about lofty people, you know, an hour or so ago, but it's not like that. And I always uh, say the wrong thing or, or stumble over myself. And I think I come across as a fucking moron and a child. <laughs> uh, so, I, yeah, I curl up in a ball and want the universe to swallow me an awful lot. I'm good in these situations. You ask me a question about myself, I can talk forever. I'm so sorry, everybody, but I'm, I'm fine. Thank you for apologies. This is fascinating fucking gassing on narcissists that I am. <laughs> but, um, but, but situations that I'm not familiar with, I no, no. Uh, I spend a lot of my time. Well, I'll, and after this, I'll want to curl up in a ball and make the universe swallow me whole because I'll feel like I've come across like a prick. So there we go. A lot. Name one time, all the time. <laughs> you are much loved and admired, Toby. I know that won't help you, but just putting uh, it out. Number nine. Name one item of memorabilia you have acquired from the circuit that you would happily pull from the fire before anything else, including loved ones. Does this have to be co uh, comedy or? It, it, it can be, it can be some, um, it can be something you were once given or something you once picked up or is, or even if there isn't anything, it's just a few people have mentioned a very a couple of odd things they've acquired over the years, but it doesn't well, have to be comedy related. You can go elsewhere. Well, I have, to, I have Nigel Deal's scripts for camera scripts for, all of the Quasimass serials. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, well, let's uh, go with that. <laughs> which, which were gifted to me very, very recently and made me cry. I can uh, imagine. What an amazing gift. Yes. And they were for somebody who would have liked having them, but who realised that he hadn't looked at them uh, and they were in his attic. Um, and he'd been given them by the family when the house was being cleared out because, you know, they they, they knew him and, uh, and, and you know, 
they were they were getting rid of stuff and they didn't know you know they didn't i, I was i was not they didn't know who i was or anything and not to say yeah. that they would have given them to me had they had they known but anyway yes they were given to me only about four weeks ago and um so they're fresh in my mind and it was a very touching i can imagine what, what a lovely thing to do as well what a lovely yeah. lovely thought process of saying i think toby would like these and i also have the thing i think that's my favorite thing that i've been given because i think it's not something anybody else has and because it's something that a bit like my my show is it's it's sort of doctor who but it's a step away from doctor who because it's not a doctor who thing although it is a doctor who thing um, the actor who plays the guy in terror of the autons who gets shrunk and put in his lunchbox oh yeah uh, um was actually barry lets the producer's nephew but he i interviewed him with another actor uh and this other actor said you know that he's a gifted draftsman don't you and he said oh yes i'm always sketching and he said in fact i've got a sketch of roger delgado learning his lines in the bbc rehearsal room when oh, i wow. did terror of the autons and i just sketched him as he was at his table going over his lines uh, and i went oh that's amazing oh, i'd love love to see that one day bloody but we were out for lunch somewhere so i wasn't here uh, and then in the post arrived this inked sketch of Delgado. Wow. and so and so i've and I've, I've framed it and i've got it on the wall because it's actually it's just a picture it's a yeah. and it's, it's actually a, only a very few strokes but it's clearly roger delgado but he's got his head and you can't see his face and you can see his sock his trousers coming up with his socks and it's an it's basically as an actor prepares it's an actor studying yeah. his lines but it's a nice inked drawing it's only when you read the caption that he's written in his beautiful handwriting you know roger delgado preparing for terror of the autons you know whatever date january 1971 oh, and signed uh, and that's lovely because it's just a it's just a picture on my wall but it has a doctor who connection and yes. it's tied up with all of the other stuff that i've done and all of that so uh, i i'm 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 very i treasure that now and that, and that actor yeah. andrew Staines, who did that is, is now no longer with us as well so it's mm. a nice it's a nice you know yes absolutely him. yes absolutely how lovely thank you yeah. i don't think i've got any good comedy memorabilia though um, oh, I've got Andy Hollingsworth, who's the photographer who does lots of co comedians' photos and acquires lots of comedy stuff for his uh, museum or whatever his collection. Uh, he, on his travels to pick up stuff, he got a he got a ticket for a recording of Who Done It, uh, and <laughs> thought that it would better be better off with me than with him. So I have a ticket for a recording of Who Done It uh, in pristine God. condition, which is very nice of him. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, and I also a have lovely collection. Uh, I have Ian Boldsworth who. Um, is a comic called Ray Peacock, but he also plays Banto, the DVD shop owner in Blink. Uh, uh, and he uh, gave me his he he gave me his sides uh, from his filming days of Blink, um, uh, which wow. we didn't we didn't know then was uh, was you know going to go on to be consistently voted the best Doctor Who story of all time. But uh, again, he figured because he's a big Star Wars fan. This is the joke. He's he's a big Star Wars fan who's never been in Star Wars, and he's been in Doctor Who, and I've never <laughs> been in Doctor. So yeah, he he ribs me about that, and he ends up being in you know one of the greatest episodes of all time. But he gave me his sides, which was very sweet of him. Oh, that's really sweet. Oh, that, what a lovely collection! Oh, on top of the rest of your collection, but what what uh, yeah, some yeah, that's nice because I'm not I'm not I don't know am I a collector? I don't know, but um, again, I don't like it because because it, then a gap would would bother me. So no, that's I've, I've, got bits, I've got bits and bobs um, because otherwise I'd disappear too far down. I would, I would try that collector thing. You just have some memorabilia. I have some things, yes. yes. Uh, question 10. What one thing would you not tell up-and-coming funny people so that they can suffer like you did? <laughs> um, it doesn't love you back. 
Mm. Uh, it is a bit like being in an abusive relationship. Maybe this is more acting than comedy because comedy is a bit more of a meritocracy. Comedy yeah. does reward hard work a bit more because you can put on your own gigs. Uh, you can do your own podcasts. You can put on your own shows. And actually, comedy, if you're any good, the circuit's changing now, but certainly for my, you know, the first 20 years of my career, I got gigs. I got, I got good enough to get gigs and I worked and I could earn a living as a stand-up without doing anything else. And yeah. that's, you know, that's a win. If you're an entertainer, you know, earning a living as an entertainer is good. And I had lots of actor friends who had to do other day jobs and there's no shame in that. And we, we should remove the stigma of that because most actors I know uh, have to ha do other jobs. And I waited on tables for, for years and, uh, and, and um, you know, and was, was hardworking and industrious and it's important life experience and, and it's a good thing to do. Um, but I, but, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to feel like I was, to use William Hartnell's word, legitimate. Uh, and, 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 you know, I got to the point where I was being booked, you know, by the comedy store, by jonglers, by the big weekend clubs. I've closed the comedy store. I've emceed jonglers and the comedy store on Friday and Saturday nights. That's about, about as high as you can get as a jobbing circuit comic. And I had no ambition to do that. Um, yeah. and, and maybe that I just, cause I never thought I'd be good enough. Um, yeah. Yeah. and, and maybe while I had an eye on, you know, acting and writing and the serious stuff and was doing comedy just to see if I could and just because I thought it would sharpen up my skills and stuff, maybe I sort of got good enough by mistake because it was just something I was doing. And that there's something so maybe I wouldn't tell them to um, not have too much amb ambition because actually sometimes it's the ambition and the importance of it that gets in your way, which is why when I have an important screen test in front of execs, I fuck it up. Whereas when you're doing a Friday night at the comedy store, you just go, well, I've got to make this work now or otherwise it's going to be a long night. And so you throw it all to, you know, you, you, you actually, that sharpens you and makes you do it properly. Uh, and also because I MC a lot, you have a responsibility to the rest of the night. Uh, so mm. that I think helps as well because you could put your own ego to one side a little bit. I totally agree. I've seen, uh, funny enough, that, that came up in another conversation that, that I've seen people who are, you know, are talented or skilled or, or you know, actor or comedian or uh, whether it's crew even where, but in their heads, they've artificially set a target of where they must get to in their life. Yeah. So then if they don't get there or they don't get close enough, they're, they're almost constantly saddened or aggrieved or yeah, disappointed in themselves. And it's like, but, but you artificially set that target, you know, you, <laughs> Well, I'm 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 from a background where you 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 were to never get ideas above your station. My grandmother was a Methodist, and uh, I think spent her entire life lowering my mother's self esteem. And that that that's that 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 is something that gets passed on through generations. So you know, I was like, well, you'll never be an actor because you're from the middle of nowhere. You have to get an equity card. You, you've got no chance of that coming from where we come from. So the idea of even just becoming an actor was impossible. Um, so. I, I never, uh, you know, all of the things, you know, I used to listen to the comedy store players. I used to imagine the comedy store. But even when I became a comic, I thought, yeah, but I'm not going to be a comic who does the comedy store. The proper comics do that. I'm not going to be a comic who does Edinburgh. The proper comic. And I've been running, a, I've been emceeing the same comedy club that won, you know, that won awards and things for ages before yeah. I did the comedy store and Edinburgh. And I still didn't think of myself. As, yeah, but that's because I I made this comedy club. So that's not real as well. That's, that's tainted by the fact that it's something that I've done because I've never got the same response for something that i've initiated i always, <laughs> I always so want to be given the the credibility by some i wanted to be bestowed upon me by somebody else I understand. Um, 
so, you know, which is why I always crave to just be hired to just do a fucking job rather than <laughs> have to do it. Uh, and uh, so, um, I, you know, I never had any expectations. So it's all been a surprise. Yes, I have ambition. I'd, I'd love to win an Oscar, but I don't think I will in the same way that I really, you know, I'd have loved to have done a Doctor Who DVD commentary, but I never thought I would. And then I never thought I'd do another one. Then I never yes. thought I'd end up doing most of them. Uh, you know, I never, I, you know, yeah. I always, I wanted to do the, I wanted to do an adaptation of The Road, but I never thought I would. I never thought that would even be in my orbit. I chucked it in as a vague idea at the bottom of a, of a sheet of other um, pitches because there was a there was actually a blank space at the bottom of the sheet of A4 that I thought oh, I'd, I'd just fill it with that and that was the one that got made but the, yeah. the, but but if I'd never made the road I would it wouldn't have been an oh I'm bereft that I've <laughs> never had the chance to do that because I yeah. never expect much luck to come my way anyway so now that can be my other half sometimes tells me off because that can sometimes you can hold yourself back and go, well, yeah. I don't expect anyone to want to employ me. I don't expect to ever fulfill my dreams. So this is never going to work. And she's yeah. very much a ask the universe and be positive and it will happen. Yeah. Uh, and I suppose my way of asking the universe, which is what she does consciously is that I've just fantasized about it. You know, I used to do DVD commentaries when I was on my bike, um, yeah. just imagining what it would be like. And it ended up happening. I used to, I used to play Fuller Love in Quatermass because I had the script book as I was just walking around, you know, imagining what it would be like to, well, I'm doing it now in September, you know. Yeah, yeah. So did that, is that what made it materialise? If you're one of those people, I'm not one of those people. But my partner would say, but actually this keeps happening. But again, would I have gone to my grave going, if only I'd got the chance to do that remake of the Quatermass experiment? You know, I, I emailed them when they did the TV version in, 2005 and of course got nothing back casting director didn't know me i was a nobody blah, blah, blah. And, and i watched that and thought well that's that you know they've done a remake of the quatermass experiment and i wasn't in it that's well that's that ship sailed then isn't it and actually 20 years later oh it's not the same it's a it's it's a live reading a one-off but i am playing quatermass full of love in quatermass well again i was i fantasized about doing that as a kid but it was never with any expectation I've always expected to fail. I've always expected to be overlooked. And I think that has happened sometimes and probably because of that attitude. Uh, I, th I think I've sometimes, you know, perpetuated my own underachievement. Um, <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, but, but I think the lesson for a comic and I think the lesson that I learned that I think has been the most precious that I've learned that if I wanted them to suffer like I did, that I wouldn't tell them is that it takes comedians a long time to discover that the voice that they're best off speaking with on stage is their own. Yeah. Now let's knock character acts out of the equation who are brilliant and skilled and offer a slightly different thing. And actually that's what I kind of really wanted to be, but it's too much effort. Uh, I like the idea of acting a performance, but that's partially narcissistic because people would admire the performance, whatever. <laughs> but actually the, the, the laziness, and especially when you, you can't do that when you're emceeing as well. And I've done so much emceeing um, is that, I tried to be at all. I tried to be Bill Hicks. I tried to be Jack D. I tried to be Dower. I tried to be other. And actually, as you go on and you've, you, you, you sort of just go, oh, I can't be bothered to, I'll just, I'll just do what, and you end up, and you know, when people say, what sort of comic are you? And it's sort of like, well, it depends what mood I'm in. Yeah. Some, you know, yeah. some weeks I might be really, really jolly and self-effacing. And sometimes I might be really angry and snarky. <laughs> um, and it's often based on, what, but, but the, the, it, it, you go around the houses dressing different ways, trying different styles, this, that, and the other. And actually, you become good when you settle into the voice that it's easier for you. Because co audiences can smell artifice. They can yeah, smell yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. It, it, it is a real chink in your armour. And when you just mm -hmm. relax 
and be yourself. And, and it takes most comics about eight, year, eight years. It <laughs> seems really odd to say, but actually most people walk all the way around and, and then ar- arrive home and it's where they'd set off from. Um, yeah. So that, that's the lesson I wouldn't tell them. I go, yeah, you experiment with being zany uh, and you experiment with being deadpan, but uh, you'll eventually just realize that, um, you know, sometimes an exaggerated, it's always an exaggerated version or a slightly higher energy or a slightly more switched on version of yourself. But the, the, the underlying element of the, of the truthfulness of, yeah. of you is, yes. uh, is where you arrive at. That's great. Thanks for not telling people that, Toby. I yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, God, I shouldn't think anyone's still listening now. Uh, those that most of those that started have died of old age. Right. <laughs> um, uh, Eleven. We're nearly there, folks. Only two questions left. Outside of comedy, what else do you enjoy doing, and what would you? What would be your ideal career? Well, what I, I like walking my dog. I like mm. doing the garden and listening to test match special. I think that might be where I'm happiest actually, yeah. um, which is odd because it's what I, my mum used to make me do it and I used to hate it. I used to hate being out in the garden with my mum and she put on test match special, which I wasn't really interested in. And of course, and I didn't have a particularly happy childhood. So it's not like I'm nostalgically remembering a time that made me happy, but yeah. I, I like nothing better now than listening to the ashes and, uh, and, and weeding the garden and, and doing all of that. I enjoy cooking. Uh, people seem to like what I cook. Um, uh, so I enjoy that. And I used to work in kitchens when I was, you know, uh, day jobbing and stuff like that. And I, I quite enjoy, you know, that's again, a quite a narcissistic thing, isn't it? Because you make something with a flourish and people eat it and go, Oh, that's nice. And you go, yes, it's all about seeking the approval of others. It's pathetic. Um, <laughs> I, I, I wish I enjoyed something you could just enjoy in a vacuum uh, that didn't depend on other people saying it was good. But I, I remember, I remember when you um, you first started posting pictures of Bernard, and it's the you know, and and oh. then you were making the point saying, how how come this is getting more likes than the hours and hours I've spent on this <laughs> podcast? And it's sometimes it's just the way of things, isn't it? You know, it's, yeah, it's, you know. Photograph yes. my dog has got more interaction than <laughs> Yes, for the listeners who might not be aware on my Patreon, uh, I, I put out three three releases a week, usually a podcast, sometimes a little bit, bit bits and bobs of this or that and the other. And then on the Tuesday there's a bonus thing where I just put a picture of my dog. And it's by far the most popular <laughs> and and anticipated part. And I only put it there for a lot. I only thought, well, I'll just stick something else out on a Tuesday for fun. Uh, and people love it and it's lovely. <laughs> and yeah. I do like I've never had a dog before that's been mine and I love him and yes. he is my best friend. Yeah. Um but yeah, so I enjoy I enjoy cooking, I enjoy the garden, I enjoy walking the dog. I kind of enjoy sort of my own company, really, and a bit of s- solitude. I, you know, if suddenly everybody died, I would be very lonely and, and miss them. But I actually quite enjoy, I think because I've lived on the road so much as well. Yeah. I like having a home that I've painted every single wall of and that we built, our, you know, we built didn't done an extension ourselves and all that I, I enjoy my home life and that's that's it's really nice thing to be able to say um, yeah. and i enjoy when she goes to sleep or falls asleep on the sofa as she did last night you know uh, reminding myself what doom watch is like my goodness time hasn't been kind <laughs> but no. I, she said she, she half opened one eye and went are we watching something old? And I went, yes, we are, because you're asleep. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so, you know, outside of comedy, yes, it will, will come as no surprise. Watching old telly, um, watching Doctor Who, uh, I particularly enjoy doing. My ideal career is weird, because I wouldn't have been satisfied. And I'm, no. I've been very lucky with 
stand-up because it is much more of a personal thing. And I've been very lucky with Doctor Who because I've got to meet you know a lot of my my heroes, not in the way that I imagined you know i'd imagined it but i would be playing doctor who and that's how it would happen but uh, one you know one can't complain about how one uh, fulfills one's wishes so so those have all been hugely unexpected but if you know my idea there's still a part of me you know that kid who wanted to become an actor and who wanted to play doctor who and all of that sort of thing but yeah. but but again, I didn't fixate on that because that was an impossible dream. But I thought what what could happen and what would be the ideal thing that wasn't tainted by Doctor Who, because again, I love Doctor Who, so because it's associated with it slightly spoiled and slightly not, is that if I had been a, a Royal Shakespeare Company actor just playing, like David Bradley was back in the 80s and 90s, you know, playing Gloucester, playing the fool, yeah. playing playing the sort of, not necessarily the the star parts, but the good Shakespearean character roles. That was that was enough. I didn't want to be a star, but I wanted the respect of my peers. Of course, as you get older, I encounter actors that have never heard of any of the other. I thought all actors had heard of other actors, and the actors respected all of the actors at the RSC. And you say now, you mention an actor that's the RSC when you're on a TV set, and people go, who, that, I don't know that, because not everybody's like you, Toby. Yeah. Um, and so actually, if I had been a respected RSC thesp, and I've interviewed a few. I've interviewed a few people who have been them. I know some people who have, you know, been in and out of that system, and they have just the as just as many insecurities, uh, dissatisfactions, fuck ups, unfulfilled ambitions, uh, blah de blah de blah, as I do, and every other person who does this trade. So I think I, I think there's a little part of me that thinks, well, that would have been just amazing, but I wouldn't have had the many things I've had from that one-on-one -on -one contact with being you know, the sole performer doing those one-man shows. I wouldn't have done the behind-the-scenes stuff that I've done. Uh, and, yeah, and so yeah. so I think of that as my ideal career, being a Shakespearean. And I, I'm good at Shakespeare and I like it. Mm. Um, but it would have been a different It would have been a different life. And I know people who've had that life and uh, it's, you know, it's not, it's not sorted them out either. So <laughs> um, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Final question. What is the one question you want to be asked that no one ever thinks to ask you? I want to be asked to sh shut up and keep it brief sometimes. <laughs> um, what is the question you want to be asked that no one ever thinks to ask you? Um, well, it's just, I mean, it's not been nice doing this because I think, I mean, I was, I noticed some of the people doing Richard Herring's podcast coming up and I was really flattered to be asked to be on Richard Herring's podcast. Yeah. But he asked me entirely about Doctor Who. Uh, and, I, and I was, and I love Doctor Who, but I, there is a part of me, and it is biting the hand that feeds. And I've alluded to this before. That goes, I'm a comic who's performed my own show at the West End. It was a show about Doctor Who, but it, yeah. it wasn't at the West End because it was about Doctor Who. It was the West End because it was good. And I think I sometimes because I MC at a place, uh, and it's a really good comedy club that's won loads of awards. But it's the comedy club not me, uh, because I've done this show that's been to the West End, but it was the Doctor Who show. It's not me. I feel like all the things I've done that have been quite successful, I'm slightly removed from. Uh, uh, and so, uh, and, and I, and I, I, I sometimes wonder if anybody actually thinks of me as a comedian. Um, and I'm quite proud of the achievements I made as a comic, because as I say, I had such low expectations, but I have done what all the other comics do have played those big clubs. And, uh, yeah, right. Uh, uh, be proud. But, um, but I, 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 I've, you know, it's maybe, and the, and the real truth is, nobody actually thinks that much about you, or, or indeed anybody else, because they're thinking about themselves. Or if they do think about you, they just go, "Oh, 
or I like that, or I don't really like that, you know, and that's that's about as much as <laughs> the centre of your own whirligig universe, aren't you? But uh, I, I think it's nice to be asked about, you know, comedy and things because I, I think – I think there's, there's sometimes I, I don't know. I get the feeling that uh, um, I'm, I'm almost I'm an accidental comic and, and, and viewed, as, viewed as such. And I sort of think, well, it can't be that much of an accident if I've been doing it for nearly. I was going to say <laughs> it's been a very long time if it's an accident. So yeah, but uh, uh, what the other question I'd like to be asked is um, more often is, will you be in this television program? Uh, and for a very long time, because uh, I, I love telly. I grew up watching telly over and over and over again and i've i've been pretty lucky in my career but i don't think i've ever had apart from that stint in cory which i've enjoyed and you know keeps keeps you know um waving from a distance i still i still live on coronation street uh um i've and i really enjoyed when i had a period of that where i was going in every scripts were landing on my door i was going in every day and just doing it and coming back again and feeling like a working actor where everything else was being done by everybody else. And I was just playing a really good part. And that's all I had to do. Uh, and I think if there's one gap in, in my career at the moment that I, that I really would like to fill a bit more is, is you know, t- turning up for longer stints in, in good TV shows just as an actor and just enjoying that life for a bit um, and not being responsible for any of the other bits around it or generating anything other than just turning up and, and playing my trade so yeah will you read the script and be in this program that's the question i want people to ask me a lot more as i go i think, to I think that's a, a perfect way to end thank you toby so obviously a big thank you to you toby for that interview um if you'd like to know more there'll be links in the show notes uh, but for now this has been an original podcast production for like my productions copyright 2023 thank you so sorry